0: scripture for today is from the book of Psalms chapter 18 verses 1 through 6. Before we read the word, let's pray. We love you Lord. You are our strength and you are worthy to be praised. We are so grateful that you hear our voices. Help us now to hear yours. Open our hearts and our minds to your word and your wisdom. Be with Matt as he preaches, and give him the words to speak. We love you, Lord. Amen. Hear the word of God from the Psalms. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me, and the snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice and my cry to him reached his ears. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ.
1: The Psalms are a guide to a full humanity, to an honesty before God, with these witnesses, with others, and individually. The Lord is indeed our rock. Uh, we have more than a, a, one or two pastors sitting in church today, which is sort of fun for me and sort of like, what if I get something wrong? Last summer, one of them was visiting, and right before I ended the service, he reached his hand out like this towards me, and then he went like this, and I was like, what does that mean in my head? And I'm looking at my conclusion, and I'm like, I think I just need to conclude my sermon. found out he was trying to keep a spider from landing in someone's hair, but I trust and respect him so much that I thought he was signaling me. What we're actually gonna do most of the summer is we're gonna take the books of the Bible one at a time as we started last summer and talk about why are they in the scriptures? What part of redemptive history are we talking about? What do we miss if we gloss over these books? We're gonna go through the historical books soon, but we're starting with Psalm 18 because the Psalms are a guide to full life before God, the saints that we are called to worship with and befriend, and even, in our, even ourselves. And Psalm 18 reminds us to love God, which is an act of will and of emotion, and to call him our rock. The reason I brought up all the pastors that are in the audience is we learned all these theological ways of understanding the Bible. We learned hermeneutics, which is a fancy word for interpretation. We learned to call a part of the Bible a pericope, a word that no human that I know that hasn't been to seminary uses ever Meaning, if I use it in a sermon, you should be like, "Bad." <laughs> and I, second time, lost my train of thought of it the number. Oh, we learn this theology, and we learn how the Psalms, which is the most quoted book of the Bible, informs our theology. We learn why Jesus quoted them so much, and we miss the first part of their benefit to us which is to teach us to relate honestly with God about our joy and about our unsettledness, about our long seasons of sickness, or worse, the sickness of a spouse. In verses 31 through 42, the writer of this psalm, who's David, but I'm calling the writer for reasons I'll get to in a little bit, gives this long poetic description of what it was like for God to show up because David was um, chased and assaulted after being uh, anointed as king, and he was delivered. And so he saw the Lord's hand in that, even though, like many of us, he questioned the Lord's timing and probably wishes that it had been less frightening in the moment. Verses 31 through 42 show God, he, God's equipping power for David, his gentleness, his sovereign knowledge and power over all things, especially conflicts, and I think is reflective of the first six verses. And I'm going to read it again, even though Meg did a phenomenal job of reading it, even though we've sang some of it and used it as a call to worship, and I want you to have this in mind. Every description of God tells us something about him, but it also tells us something about us. God is worthy of love, and we need not only his love, but to love him in return. That's actually the most fundamental part of being a human being. God is a rock, which means we need one. Most of you know this. Most of you have had seasons that felt incredibly unsteady and unsettling. And learning to pray corporately and individually and to sing to God who is our rock is absolutely restful to our soul. All of these descriptions are things for us to receive and to enjoy. They all indirectly state a need you and I were born with. To relate to God as strength, fortress, deliverer, rock, one in whom we take refuge, shield, stronghold, worthy of praise, savior. We've given a lot of time and energy to this already, but I wanna be a little more explicit about it. I want you to pause and I love doing this outside. If you don't love the outdoor service, well, I understand the bug thing. But it is lovely to pause for a moment and listen to the wind and remember all of the things that are spinning in the universe and the galaxy and our solar system and know that he spun them into existence with a word. I'm giving you a moment to express your love to God silently. Which one of those descriptions are you most comfortable with? My strength, my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. Refuge, shield. Which one do you use regularly in prayer? Say to God, I love you, my rock. Which one's weird? Which one have you never used in prayer? Try that one on silently. The Lord is our rock who saves, and we talk about this a lot because I'm in charge, and I think it's essential of this church, not anything else, and I'm not really in charge. I'm the pastor, so I get the microphone the most often. Saving is not just from, but it's into. For those of you that have read The Return of the King, perhaps you were as surprised as I was, perhaps not, when... Evil is vanquished in the book. I'm not going to spoil it, but I was surprised when that happened. But the brilliance of that book is, it's not just saved from Sauron. It's not just saved from evil. It's not just saved from the ring. It's saved into a new land, new kingship, the Hobbit's story. Jesus saving of us, God in Psalm 18, and Jesus, who this is a messianic psalm. We'll talk about that in a minute. At the very end of it talks about the more perfect David. Jesus saves us from spiritual death into whole life. Jesus saves us from um, transactional love, which is lust, into real love that's for our neighbor. Jesus saves us from greed into generosity, which saves us from something that erodes our very being which is what sin does, into something that breathes life into our very being. Jesus saves us from thinking we need to retaliate when people hurt us into forgiveness, which is such a precious gift because do you realize when you learn to forgive, you reduce or eliminate that harmful person's power over you? What an incredible gift. Not an easy one to do, not an easy command to do, but what a gift. That we would be saved from harmful people's power over us into a lighter life. In verses 7 through 12, it is a Lord of the Rings style description of what God did in the realm we can't see as David was experiencing rescue. And saving, the earth reeled and rocked, the foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. David is spending a lot of energy imagining supernatural good on his behalf through God. And then he describes the rescue so beautifully. He brought me into a broad place. He rescued me. This is verse 19 of chapter 18. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted me. Verse 30, this God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. the psalm and the circumstances around it um, were a little bit violent because the Bible was written and experienced by its writers and God's people in the real world. Following the Enlightenment, a lot of humans have some sense that there just shouldn't be violence anymore if we would press on and accept um, certain philosophies. The Bible is much more real than that and sort of smiles at those that think any society or form of government will lead to peace and prosperity for all of its people. You don't need to feel comfortable with the violence in the Bible. There are all sorts of reasons it's in there. It's because it happened. It's because when evil people rise up, uh, they not as often or as quickly as we want, need to be dealt with because the people who were representing God's people were imperfect also. If you read all of Psalm 18 and it doesn't make you a little bit uncomfortable, well, I think that's weird, but it was written by a real king in a real time with real enemies who went to war against him and would have killed him. More importantly, the writer writes, That God is one we take refuge in. I believe the Psalms are the most underutilized book in the Bible in my experience with uh, Christians and myself and churches. I believe the Psalms are actually the most misunderstood with respect to their utility book in the Bible. This is a Messianic Psalm and that's essential for our understanding. But its utility for a thousand years before Jesus was to praise God in an oriented moment. Before we over categorize the Psalms, notice that when you're in a stable place, and for many of you it's been a long time, but for many of you, you're in a good moment. Things at work are understandable, you're not getting too many emails. Your boss is either on vacation or being kind or you're the boss and it seems like the communication is good. Learn to talk to God this way in your good seasons. One of the kinds of psalm is a psalm of orientation. Psalm 1 is a good example of how we can misunderstand this because it's a beautiful psalm talking about how essential the wisdom of God is. So you might call it a wisdom psalm or a psalm of Torah, first five books of the Bible. But before that, it's a psalm of orientation. Yes, this is a messianic psalm in verse uh, 50 of Psalm 18. The writer writes, great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever, foreshadowing Jesus who is the better David of whom David is a type standing before his people, reconciling them to God. But it is also a psalm that is useful to you in your moments of relative stability And settledness. I'll talk about that again in a minute. The Lord is our rock who saves from snares of death. I love verses four and five because most of us aren't this creative or imaginative or honest in prayer. This is what it felt like to David when he was surrounded by his enemies. Look again at verse four. The cords of death encompassed me, the torrents of destruction assailed me, the cords of Sheol entangled me, the snares of death. Confronted me. It's good to take some time and to pause when you're praying. Give some energy to being creative in your prayers. Repetition is an essential part of prayer. See Psalm 136. I love when people complain to me about repetition in certain kinds of worship genres. I say, you know, there's a lot of repetition in the Psalms. It always goes well, too. They're always just like, oh. (laughs) Joke worked. (laughs) It is good to pause to consider how do we be honest with God about what is it actually like to be you with your family and your work to do in the world and your story And be a follower of God. It's worth it to pause. In our 9 o'clock service, um, September through the beginning of June, we have two times of prayer. And I love it when people are creative with their verbiage. Because I understand a little bit more about what it's like to be them before God, following Him as best we're able. The three kinds of psalms are psalms of orientation, like this one, psalms of disorientation, and psalms of reorientation. Because, friends, that's life. And especially life as a follower of God. Light disorientation might be muscle pain, right? And then you have the day where you're not in pain, and you pause for a moment and you say, Thank you, Lord. Might be a light disruption, a mistake you made with your finances. And then in the next month you don't make that mistake. And you remember to praise God for His wisdom in that. More medium season of disorientation might be your child isn't sleeping. Your boss wants you gone. Right? And then, when that season lets up, you are reoriented and you praise. We sang earlier, Turn Morning into Dancing. That's a quote of Psalm 30. And sometimes we really wish God would do that more quickly than He does, but that is what He does: Redeems and rescues us. Not from every earthly affliction, but spiritually from death into life and we learn to praise him for it there are heavier seasons of disorientation like you're out of work someone you're in a relationship with will no longer return your calls very close friend or a spouse becomes very ill And there are psalms that do not end with reorientation. In fact, it's a little more common for them to be more dark than light. The last verse in Psalm 88 says, darkness is my closest friend. There will be seasons where you will not want to praise. But thank God there are also seasons where it is actually easy and good And in those times, Psalm 18 is a good friend to you, reminding you of the titles and attributes of God that you get to rely on Him. After two rounds of chemotherapy in 2009, I went to a picnic at a friend's house and I ate four bratwursts. And they had been marinated in beer and apple juice. And I've never eaten more than one bratwurst in my life. I ate four and I was not full because I had lost a lot of weight. And friends, I tell you right now my mouth is watering because I remember how sweet that was. That was a moment of reorientation after a season of significant disorientation. And the Psalms tell me how to relate to God in both seasons. Oh, they were so good. Have you ever eaten exactly what you wanted and didn't feel very it doesn't happen very much anymore but then huh, they were so good The Lord is our rock who saves from snares of death because that's who he is He brought me into a broad place he rescued me because he delighted in me The good news includes some not so good news you're probably a little worse off than you might think naturally but it doesn't begin with that and it doesn't end with that. It begins with God delights in you because you're made in his image. And then, right in the middle, we got to deal with some stuff. We need to repent of our sin. We need to tell him he's Lord and not us. And then we're guided into the with God life because he delights in us. Here, are verses 46 through 50 of Psalm 18. The Lord lives. And blessed be my rock. You guys know that song. I'm so tempted to sing it, but I'm going to do us all a favor and not. The Lord lives and blessed be my rock and exalted be the God of my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance and subdued subdued people, peoples under me, who rescued me from my enemies. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from the man of violence. For this, I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. Did you notice it's not just for God that he did this and it's not even just for God's people. All people might know who he is and what worship of him is all about. Jesus is the fulfillment of this. One of the reasons that we use the English Standard Version of the Bible is that word in Hebrew is very, very, very important. It is one word, chesed, and it means a covenanting love. Some versions call it just love, and that's not enough. This is a covenanting love by a God who never forgets his people or his promises. And this promise is fulfilled in Jesus. God's people have used this psalm for millennia to take refuge in him and then in gratitude for the fact that we can take refuge in him because he pursued us, then we follow him. The way that Jesus invites people to take refuge in him in Matthew 11, I hope is an old familiar friend to you. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The truth is about God's character in Psalm 18 and revealed in a better version in Jesus, should make you sleep better. I know your back hurts. I know your joint pain, et cetera, et cetera. I know some of you are working on getting that better pillow. But I'm serious. The steadfast love of God, especially when we learn to pray about it consistently and honestly, will help you receive the rest of God. Find peace for your soul and also purpose and a good guide in life. But also rest because he is one we take refuge in. That is good news. Let's pray. Father, we praise you that your love is a covenanting, steadfast love. Jesus, we praise you that because of your work atoning for our sin, we can receive the delight of God because you purchased it for us. Holy Spirit, we praise you for these saints you've put next to us to praise you alongside and to befriend on the journey. We ask that you bless, I ask that you bless all these men and women in their prayers, in their work, in their sleep. I ask that they remember you often and be empowered by your Holy Spirit as it indwells them. Amen.